Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Today, we're talking turf. It's a great time of year to be laying turf. And later on, I'll be joined by Jonathan Hill from Rowlawn, who'll be telling us what goes into the production process. My thanks to my producer, Charlie Jones, and to Mr Fothergill's Seeds, sponsors of this podcast. This week I went to the RHS Harvest Festival show. Boy, there were some stunning fruit and vegetables there. As a lady called Sherry Plum. Goodness, if her name appears on a card in the vegetable sections, she'd take some beating. Absolutely fantastic vegetables. And apples too. Looks to be a really good year for both eating and culinary apples. The heaviest apple, that was a Howgate Wonder, grown by Adrian Bagley, and it went in at 921 grams. Now I think that's... uh, Is that two pounds? I don't know, I'm not very good on the conversion. You'll have to do that. 921 grams. Another interesting bit of news came through to me this week. The Plant Varieties Rights Office, that's the uh, European organisation that does plant patents. You know, if you've got a new variety and you want to patent it, then the PVRO handle it. And they have just said that there were 17 fewer applications to the end of August. And before you sigh a sigh of relief, I have to tell you that most of those uh, smaller numbers were because of agricultural and vegetable cultivars, because fruit and ornamentals are way up. I mean, there's 35% more new fruit cultivars being uh, put in for plant variety rights and 10% more ornamentals, 923 new ornamentals put in in the last eight months. So I'll have to keep on my toes to bring you the best of that lot. I'm also very interested too to see that pansy sales for the month of September were double last year at the same time. Now my advice is go for the small flowered violas. Boy, they're good. A lot of them are fragrant. They just flower and flower. The flowers might be smaller but you'll get plenty of them. And if the weather does turn rough, they're very quick to recover. So uh, give the violas, the seed rose violas, a chance. We always learn something I was surprised to read that uh, it's the third year of Outdoor Classroom Day on the 12th of October. Yeah, I bet you're wondering, what's an Outdoor Classroom Day? Well, apparently it's a global movement with over 2 million children at close on 18,000 schools around the world that spend one day out of the classroom, outside. It started in London in 2012. And surprisingly... On the website, there's little mention of school gardening. You know, over the years, having done a number of school workshops, I'm amazed what uh, gardening clubs can do to help learning. I mean, you've got to do everything. You need mathematics to measure the distance between plants and to get the rows straight. You need to write labels. You need to read the instructions on seed packets It's interesting to learn where the various uh, crops and plants come from. It's a really great way for kids to get out in the fresh air and to learn. Actually, I I see that uh, Fording Bridge are building canopies and 
covered walkways to facilitate more outdoor classroom teaching. Not such good news of Wyvale Garden Centre who've just posted a £122 million loss for the year ending December 2016, according to News in My Trade, Horticultural Week magazine. They say it's the biggest loss ever for a garden centre chain. Goodness, that'll take some pulling back. One other thing too, butterfly weddings. Do you believe people pay £120 to get 10 North American monarch butterflies to uh, let loose when people get married. The environmentalists are not very happy about that because they say uh, there's no milkweed for the uh, monarch caterpillars to eat and there's the risk of uh, transmission of illness with uh, the introduction of foreign butterflies in amongst our native species. I would have thought it was much better to grow roses and larkspur to throw sustainable and biodegradable petals as colourful confetti. I have Jonathan Hill, the sales and marketing director for Rolorn, on the line. Now, Jonathan, where are you and how's the weather wherever you are? Um, hi, Peter. Um, I'm in my, uh, in my ivory tower in Yorkshire and uh, today we've got... Um, Slight overcast weather, but it's uh, a nice mild spell at the moment, good for growing turf. Perfect, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about the uh, way you grow turf, how much you grow, uh, and what you do to have such good quality turf? Obviously, we um, have got 40 years of experience poured into um, making turf ideal for the UK domestic market. So... It all starts with prep work on the land, which is why we're here in Yorkshire in the first place, because we've got nice sandy soil, fertile, um, which is really the perfect sort of natural seedbed for producing good quality, consistent turf. And the guys here have spent years refining the process of prepping the ground, choosing the right seed mix, choosing the right gaps in the weather to uh, to lay uh, or sow the seed, um, and then the whole cultivation process involving bespoke equipment, lots of knowledge, um, and obviously living with an eye constantly on, on the weather and uh, working with nature and what it gives us. Yeah, we all have to do that, don't we? Keep an eye on the weather. But, but when it comes to the soil, you're cutting off, what, half an inch or an inch of soil each time you remove a turf. How do you cope with that? I mean, do you just move? <laughs> No, we believe it or not, Peter, it's a fully sustainable system. So we, we're actually, we used to grow turf and take a, a bigger profile of soil off, but soil being such a valuable commodity, um, we're now down to only a few millimetres of soil with each harvest. And the amount we take off, we regulate very carefully, and the amount of root matter that we leave behind in the soil from the growing process actually replaces all the soil that we remove. So what we grow replaces what we use. That that root matter then composts down in and helps to re-energise the soil and replace what we remove with each harvest. I mean, that's amazing. I never thought about that. I mean, you don't add any sort of organic matter to top up the surface or anything? No, we, we've been in fields. Some of the fields we've got here we've been in now for 30 years. And, and to me... 
in my ignorance when I joined the business, I thought there'd be slopes and steps down into the field because obviously it would be, you know, disappearing towards Australia. But uh, in actual fact, no, it's maintained at a very constant height. And, um, you know, the farmers that we uh, work with and the farmland we work with, soil is obviously the, the most valuable commodity that, that you have on a farm. So we treat it like gold dust. It's essential for what we do. So we remove as little as possible. We don't want to be removing soil if we can help it. So it's very closely managed. And then when it comes to the actual grass seed, is there just one week or two that you sow or do you sow both autumn and spring? We start sowing usually in March um, when the temperatures start to lift and the ground temperatures start to rise. And if you're sowing exactly the same as if you're sowing seed in a garden, you need reasonable soil temperatures and you need some temperatures, ambient temperatures above about 13 degrees to give you some good germination and that's the same for for us as it would be for a, any gardener um, and we sow then from March through to usually about now, end of September um, when the temperatures start to drop off again and the weather gets a lot wetter we then stop sowing and so we, we fit into that cycle um, every year then we stop in time for the autumn and there's no point wasting seed if it's not going to germinate and grow healthily which um, as you get towards autumn obviously that's that's what starts to happen and frosts obviously aren't uh, very good for young tender seed growth so we stop about now and then when it comes to the seed it's not just one grass it's a mixture of uh, grass cultivars that you use yep we're on a uh, we're on a rye grass and um, fescue mix, and the rye grasses are actually a dwarf perennial rye, so they're quite a, a modern rye grass, unlike the traditional older ryes, which are quite can be quite thick and coarse. The modern dwarf rye's relatively fine, but still good wear resistance, good year-round colour, and the fescues, which are different qualities and we actually have got six cultivars that make up the medallion mix which we have spent years and continually review that mix to give us the best all-round option for you the UK market. And if somebody puts a lawn down using medallion what sort of life could they expect? Well there's no reason why that wouldn't last anybody's lifetime Peter with the right sort of um, maintenance you know the normal sort of thing we all have to do working with what your garden gives you and adapting um, how you treat your lawn there's no reason why that can't actually uh, live out the life of the garden now how did you get into this business then i mean it, <laughs> you haven't been there for the 30 years of uh... i got into this business because i i uh I used to be in the building trade and uh, I answered an advert in uh, the Grocer magazine uh, um, looking for people to sell golf clubs and I thought I like to combine a hobby with um, with my career and on the same page for selling golf clubs there was an advert selling turf to golf courses and uh, so I had my CV out and I sent one off. Well I never heard from the golf club company but um, this guy rang me from uh, Turf Grower in Yorkshire and said, come for an interview, and the rest is history, as they say, really, and I've been there ever since. I mean, it's a great job, isn't it? Most of the jobs in horticulture, you know, we pit our wits against the weather. That's um, fantastic, Peter. And, and, you know, and looking out over your fields of perfect green turf is quite a joy, isn't it? It's beautiful. Uh, I feel very lucky, you know, I get to live and work in a fantastic location in East Yorkshire um, 
and in a in a great industry you know horticulture is uh, it's got some fantastic people in it um and to be honest i don't think i've come across um a bad one to be honest um when i joined the industry i, I i've been lucky to make some great friends and uh, you know got customers where we've worked together for many years and i think we will carry on working together for many more years so and it's great to be in touch with nature it, it's wonderful to grow things uh be out in nature, working with nature. You know what? What more could you want, really? Yeah. What What sort of life has the turf got once you've cut it and it's on the move? I mean, people really want to lay it as quickly as possible, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the challenges is to get the turf to the customer in a good, healthy condition, and that's really one of our main jobs is to to produce a turf that does that. So, in general, you've got a day or two. We put our turf through a unique process that actually extends the shelf life so that you've got more than that. You've usually got four or five, even six or seven days between us harvesting it and you needing to lay it. Um, Even six or seven day old turf still looks like it was harvested this morning because of a unique process we put it through called ProFresh. Having said that, the advice always is, you know, buy your turf as fresh as you can, be ready to lay it, lay it as quickly as you can. And in spring and summer, you should always lay it the day it arrives with you, and you need to plan accordingly. Um, yeah. Autumn and winter, you've got probably 24 hours, and uh, you know the turf will be fine because the temperatures are cooler and it'll last a little bit longer rolled up. Um, but if your turf gets to you and um, it, it's going bright yellow and beginning to smell a bit, then you should talk to your turf grower and uh, and let them know that. You, you have concerns because it's been rolled up too long if you've got those those characteristics. I mean, we've worked together over the years at uh, Chelsea Flower Show. You've built some really stunning exhibits at Hampton Court. I remember one particularly which had all kinds of curves and uh, <laughs> little hillocks, you know. It really surprising what you can do with a beautiful bit of turf. Thanks, Peter. We like to try and push the boundaries a bit and make people think again about turf and lawns and what you can do with it. So, yeah, we've we've enjoyed um, that challenge and, you know, working with, with yourselves and, and other experts in the field has been, you know, good fun. That's not working. That's, that's good fun to try and bring that to people and make them think and, and give them a new way of looking at something. The shows are great as well. You get lots of feedback on, on product and uh, the one show garden you're talking about, the... the display we had um people called it hobbit land they called it uh, tubby <laughs> tubby land um and um so lots of lots of talk about what it represented which is great because it it relates to people and, and that's what you want and people saying you know is it real it looks so fantastic and uh ironically it's all real and uh looking good now another sideline to your business is topsoil now Indeed. presumably you can't take that off the field um, I was uh, working with a garden, back garden, where we tore up um, a tarmac driveway, mm. got right down to the subsoil, and mm. had uh, several cubic metres of your topsoil. And I have to tell you, the growth in it this summer has been fantastic on trees and herbaceous. I have seen topsoil brought in on landscape jobs. It hasn't been quite so good. <laughs> so uh, what do you do to get soil? Um, how do you treat it before we get it? We get our soils basically from a range of sources. The common thing with all of them is that we 
are very careful about where we source base soils, base topsoils. Um, so some of it's from other industries, other food industries, people making sugar, people making products out of carrots. These guys wash product and there's, there's the washings off of the root crop that they then have to get rid of. So that's one source for us. That's a good recycling system, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. And, um, you know, to them it's a waste, yeah. but we're turning it into a horticultural product. So it's going back on the land. And here's another good story, I think, about how industry helps itself and helps nature. Yeah. Again, that valuable topsoil, you don't want that taken off the farmland. You want it back in use, which is good. It is um, root vegetable washings or sugar beet washings. It will have lost some structure, won't it, in that process? It does, yes. And you, you actually have to take time to actually what's called condition the product back to give it the structure of a good sand silk clay mix which has got qualities that you you want within a soil structure so decompaction you need air in soil which a lot of people underestimate how important that is in healthy plant growth it can take actually some years to condition the soil again into the right uh, oh really as long as that yeah yep two or three years sometimes yeah Um, Without that structure, you you obviously can't get the result you want from 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 a product. And one of the one of the problems with soils which are stacked, and you see people storing soils in big piles on building sites. If you just spread that, often you'll get uh, very bad plant performance because the, the structure is not there, no air in into into the structure, and you get water clogging, poor drainage, and poor plant growth as a result. It's been fantastic, you know, getting some of that information from behind the scenes, so to speak. And and the thing that particularly impresses me is that you can grow turf, cut it, and yet not lose the height of soil on the field. I mean, that's amazing. You know, we work in millimetres as well. Um, So the the prep of the land is absolutely vital that you, you put the prep in before you do anything. So like prepping a garden you know the the investment in your prep work usually gives you a better result and it's the same for us on the field yeah and that thin slither of turf of course means you're not burning as much fossil fuel carting it about totally and that's very important to us in terms of you you don't want to be soils heavier than turf yeah so the more soil you have on a lorry the more fuel you use the less turf you can carry so we think about the process from end to end in terms of being kind on the environment and as gentle on the land as we can. Jonathan, thank you very much for greening Britain. Long may you continue to provide perfect lawns. I love lawns. So what's on this week? Well, about this week, from the 6th to the 19th of October, there's an orchard display amazing apples at the RHS Gardens at Wisley. Now that's a place to go if you want to find out the name on uh, the fruits that you've got growing in your garden. Actually I've got quite a number of different varieties. Uh, Six or seven of them grown just three foot apart, almost like a hedge. The stems, the trunks have, have been trained in an S shape and so I've got scrumptious, really lovely early apple and then Ellison's Orange, uh, that's actually in a step over, it's not in the hedge. Uh, and I've got uh, Red Falstaff and Egremont Russet, all being ready to pick now and eat fresh. So you don't need a lot of space, 
just a two to three foot wide strip and plant the trees about three foot apart. Uh, and away you go. Thanks again to our sponsors, Mr Fothergill's Seeds, and to my producer, Charlie Jones. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk Thank you.